0: Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised.
1: It's time, America. Mr. and Mr. North of South American, all ships at sea, let's go to press. Not only will it set a new standard for excellence, but it will be a departure from all existing patterns. Already, the nation's press is greeting the project with enthusiasm. And I don't hesitate to call it 1967's most exciting program concept. You answer
0: with a grin, and you wrestle with the blame when the lumber hits the skin, and it's time to pay the toll. Let the truth a wagon roll.
1: Good evening. It is
2: Thursday, December 27th, 2012, episode 139. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on the Tom Gully Show. You know, all of our guests honor us with their time and their thoughts on the Tom Gully Show. You know, except that one guest. You know the one I'm talking about. I don't think I... Yeah, you know the one. I don't need to dignify him by mentioning their name. You know the one. Right. However, in terms of prestige, our little show was blessed back around election time with a guest of great magnitude. Back around the presidential
1: election, you remember the presidential election, don't you? My side's right. And your side is a bunch of misguided, uninformed truth benders who can't possibly even begin to grasp the facts through your overzealous haze of self-interest and your brainwashed into total submission that will spiral the nation into a hellish tornado of failure from which there is clearly no return. Can't you see that? Remember that,
2: the presidential election? Well, back then, we were lucky enough to have former presidential candidate, Senator Gary Hart, on the program. And we offer him here tonight in
1: podcast form on The Tom Gully Show. The following is a public service announcement from The Tom Gully Show. Due to recent events, we are compelled to pass along this warning for listeners of The Tom Gully Show. Tragically, over the past few weeks, a pattern of alarming occurrences has befallen listeners who have failed to support the program via social media. For example... A Margaret D. from Indianapolis was struck down with chronic, incurable, sudden flatulence after ignoring an opportunity to like the Tom Gully Show Facebook page. Similarly, a Chuck L. of Richardson, Texas, was horrified to find that a sphincter opening had replaced his mouth after plagiarizing a Twitter posting from the show. A Marjorie H. of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, passed on a chance to join the TomGullyShow.com via Google+, and her dog, Mimsy, subsequently exploded. And both Zachary J. and Ted R. of Doylestown, Pennsylvania sent nasty emails to tom at the thetomgullyshow.com and subsequently saw their genitalia blacken, shrivel, and fall off in the shower. Don't let this happen to you. Like The Tom Gully Show on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Atomic Palooka, and join and subscribe with links at thetomgullyshow.com. Email the program via tom at thetomgullyshow.com, and when you do, good things will happen. Thank you. The preceding has been a public service announcement from The Tom Gully Show. Listen now
2: to a podcast from back in November as the esteemed Senator Gary Hart of Colorado talks to us as he predicts the outcome of the past presidential election, talks about his latest novel called Durango, available on Amazon.com, lets us know about his favorite sports teams, talks about the contentious nature of the media, and even discusses his relationship with the late Hunter S. Thompson. Senator Gary Hart is many things, a former presidential candidate, a political strategist of the highest order, a foreign policy expert, and one of the nation's most stalwart defenders of our environment. But shock of shocks, he's also a talented novelist of some repute. We're we're greatly, greatly honored to be speaking with him today. Uh, Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, Senator, I am certainly not the political sage you are, but it seems to me that over the last 15 years or so, the climate of political discourse has become exponentially mean-spirited. Now, certainly politics have historically been charged by passionate people, espousing strongly held beliefs, but today's climate seems to demonize opponents rather than criticize their ideology. Now, do you believe this is the case? And if so, what can we do to alter this course?
0: I couldn't quarrel with any of your formulation. I think it's absolutely correct. What is unclear to me are the reasons for this, and and I have studied and thought a lot about it, and I simply can't account for it. I The best I can do is to think that there are an awful lot of people in America who are simply uh, disturbed confused concerned about the direction of the country and uh, some of this is is honest and straightforward some of it is motivated by less than honorable um, intentions but it's brought about by globalization uh, the internationalization of uh, of markets and finance it's uh, partly uh, the changing nature of warfare we don't have uh, the greatest generation in world war ii anymore we have rush-fire wars against terrorists, nameless gangs and clans that uh, no one ever heard of before. And um, the world is just simply a much different place than it was for older generations of Americans such as I am.
2: Well, I hope you'll pardon me for a quick filibuster here, but as it affects the <laughs> the actual governing of the nation, this noti- notion of party before government has created a climate where the idea of compromise has become a thing to be denigrated. You know, from here in Dallas, I watched as in my own native state of Indiana, this past primary, Richard Lugar, a man I hold in high regard like yourself, was lambasted for the idea he actually reached across the aisle to create legislation attempting to satisfy a, a larger group of people rather than an all-or-nothing approach. Do you believe this schism is creating a one-sided brand of legislation and of government?
0: Well, I would I would agree with your formulation once again, except for the conclusion. It's, there is almost no legislation because of that stalemate that you mentioned. I would say, um, without sounding too partisan here, that the one thing that has changed is... Um, is the politi- uh, politicization of the media there is there is clearly now there are clearly now ideological media and um at least on one extreme uh, a kind of a provocative approach to to compromise and to bipartisan agreement that uh, demonizes that and simply says that uh, everyone in the Democratic Party, from the president on down, are are, are worthless people, and uh, no one on the other side should have anything to do with them. That, that's simply a formula for not governing a country.
2: Well, tonight's, of course, the first of three presidential debates. How do you view the upcoming presidential election and the two candidates from the major parties?
0: Um, in general, and I obviously am Ob- an Obama partisan, but in general, I think the 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 election on both sides, the campaigns on both sides, could have been elevated substantially. Uh, there is too much negative, negative advertising. I think a lot of undecided voters, independent voters, would like to have heard much more positive ideas and solutions. Now, uh, again, I think there has been more uh, concrete suggestions in this regard. Of ways to expand existing programs uh, or change new or make new policies from my candidate's point of view than from the other side, where there's been an awful lot of uh, lack of specificity. But uh, in general, I think uh, the American people would like to hear a lot more detail to the degree they're willing to pay attention to it.
2: Would you care to hazard a guess as to the outcome of the election?
0: Well, given the present state of the polls and things can change dramatically, I would say that uh, President Obama has a reasonably good chance at reelection. But uh, I would say more on the on the electoral vote than the popular vote. I think the popular vote will be very, very close. But current polls show the president leading in most of the so-called battleground or swing states, including my own. And if that holds up for the next month, then I think he will be re- reelected.
2: Well, you're often given credit for, quote unquote, inventing the Iowa caucus. And I don't believe most Americans, (laughs) they, they don't recall the days of the smoke filled room of conventions where the American people had less influence over the selection of candidates from the major parties. I know you've been asked this a million times, but can you can you talk a bit about how you came up with the Iowa strategy during the George McGovern campaign of 1972, a strategy that lives on to this day?
0: It was um, out of necessity, actually, and your your history once again is correct. What happened was there was great turmoil in the Democratic Party Convention in Chicago in 1968, um, a matter of, of great historical consequence. There were party reforms that occurred uh Uh, ironically led by uh, Senator McGovern, the so-called McGovern Commission, between 68 and 72 that opened the party up to get away from the smoke-filled rooms, and that widened the chance for participation by women, by environmentalists, by young people, by minorities, to get get it out of the hands of the the boss's control. And that set up a contest in 72 where the front runner at the time was Senator Muskie of Maine. And he clearly had an advantage in the first primary in New Hampshire next door to his home state. So we began to look for any contest that began before New Hampshire. And it turned out that uh, although people hadn't paid any attention to it, Iowa held caucuses. A week or two uh, before the new hampshire primary so we simply began to campaign at the grassroots level to get to turn out mcgovern supporters in iowa and mcgovern who was well back in the pack of six or eight candidates uh, came in second and then began his campaign
2: What are your feelings about the way the primaries currently fall? Uh, It's almost like the NCAA tournament. There's a a great number at the beginning, and then they're slowly weeded out. The great thing is that allows more input on the part of voters, but has their timing and emphasis served to reduce the number of candidates as choices over the duration of the process?
0: I don't think the timing or the calendar of the primaries has done that so much as the money has. What happens uh, if you start with a field of six or eight, which is usually the – the process for a party out of power um two two no more than three come out of the early primaries and caucuses as so-called front runners and quite often uh, the the emerging front runner is not the one who started out to be for example i upset the odds in 84 by winning the new hampshire primary pretty decisively and that that just fundamentally altered the dynamics of the race. What then happens is those who have not done well in those early states cannot uh, raise money to compete in the, in the subsequent primaries that come thereafter. And so it's really the cost of campaigning that, that narrows the process down to um, the th- two or three finalists.
2: Well, you're also known as a foreign policy expert, having sounded the warning bell for the 9-11 attacks long before their occurrence. How do you view the embassy attacks following the anti-Muslim film produced here in the United States? And how do you view our response to those attacks?
0: All the facts are not in. Uh, There's a political controversy, as you well know over the obama administration's response to this and the and the mixed messages that have been sent out that is a consequence of of talking before you have all the facts in, and the contest here is between the media, who wants, which wants a response immediately. What is the White House or the president's response to this attack? And so, based on in, inadequate information, the president makes a statement, or uh, Secretary Clinton makes a statement, or the UN ambassador makes a statement. And then more information comes in, and they have to alter those statements. So it's a it's a competition between trying to satisfy the immediate urges of needs of the press and getting all the information from the ground and that usually takes days and we still don't know what all the details were but what started out as a belief of a a kind of spontaneous mob riot now turns out apparently from the intelligence community to be a planned attack And, and that was not the first information available.
2: Well, the environment. I think even those who might have philosophical differences with your positions could not for one second deny your passionate defense of our most precious resource, our spectacular environment. What do you feel is the most important issue affecting our environment at present?
0: Well, I serve, <laughs> this will be controversial, I have served for a couple, two or three years as a co-chair of the Presidential Climate Action Project. Now, climate act, the climate change issue as you know is heavily polarized people although the scientific community seems heavily weighted toward some human impact uh, and not a good one on the process of the of, of the climate long term and the use in the carbon emissions that are warming the climate and so forth so if if you agree with the with the predominant scientific view that there is uh, an increase in global warming and that there is a tipping point beyond which that can't be reversed. That has to be the most serious problem we face. Uh, in the And while we're trying to resolve both the scientific facts and try to get c- consensus on that, in the meantime, we still have to work on uh, long-term disposal of nuclear waste and chemicals that still haven't been dealt with properly. This all began way back in the 60s and 70s when when I took office in the mid 70s. So that's a, that's still a challenge. And then increasingly, environmental problems are global. Uh, ocean pollution. We're seeing more and more junk floating around in the open oceans. So uh, we 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 still haven't as an as a, as a as a race as a human race come to grips with the need to protect our soil and our air and our water
2: okay now let's get to the fun stuff which of course dovetails into the environment with your latest novel Durango we all know about Gary Hart the learned politician this is not your first novel what can you tell us about the motivations that led you to become Gary Hart the artist slash (laughs) author
0: not very successful one, I must say um, I have, from that, my earliest days, been a reader. I've I've read fiction and nonfiction all my life intensively. I'm usually reading six or seven books simultaneously. Excuse me. And as you read, particularly read stories, going all the way back to the classics, to Homer and the Greeks and so forth. You uh, begin to imagine, you begin to see life as a kind of story, or if you're in, as I was, in public life, uh, you see drama in everyday events. In this case, it was the impact on a region of my state, and particularly the community of Durango, uh, of the division caused by uh, a water project. And I used the factual basis of that 40-year struggle over that water project involving uh, farmers, energy development people, the the white community, the Native American community, and layer on top of that a, a kind of um, a political drama, and that was the motivation for that. In the past, I've written books on, largely based on my experience in national security and intelligence, to write spy thrillers during the uh, the old Cold War days. The
2: late Hunter. S. Thompson was a friend of yours. Uh, Did he ever read your work? And if so, what was his reaction, if indeed you're comfortable (laughs) relating it to us?
0: I don't think he ever did. He was still alive when I had two or three books out, including a couple on Cuba that I wrote under a pseudonym. But I never had, uh, in his later days, I never had a conversation with Hunter where he um, (laughs) commented on my literary efforts. I'm sure he would have... If they, it would have been a harsh judgment had he rendered it. Uh, I, was, uh,
2: I was going to ask you if uh, you would uh, tell us about your strong relationship with John Blackthorne, but uh, <laughs> I, I won't do that. Uh, of course, your pseudonym. Uh, your personal experiences seem to play a part in all of your, your novels. Uh, can you tell us about this latest novel and uh, what it means to you personally to have told this story?
0: well that's a difficult question i didn't set out to um, use a fictional story, even one based in fact as as any kind of self revelation it is uh, the theme of the story is exile and return, which is goes all the way back to to the odyssey and and working forward as a central theme in western literature and and that's very much central to the to, the account of the Durango. But um, I, it was just an interesting story that I wanted to tell. And it kind of came into my mind over a period of years. And I actually wrote it a couple of years ago, and it just was published this summer.
2: What do you think the ongoing or the in moving forward, the uh, Animus La Plata water project will finally, you know, conclude with?
0: Well, it is constructed, and I was just down there promoting the book a couple of weeks ago. The reservoir is filling, if not already filled. The big change that finally made the project viable was the shift in the cost-benefit ratio from agriculture, that is, how much economic benefit would be gained if the dam were built and the storage water were stored for agricultural purposes that, that's the way it was originally designed to the reason that it was finally built in the 90s for water for energy development on both uh, tribal and non-tribal lands and it turned out the southern ute Indians have uh, substantial energy supplies on their reservation that could only be produced and developed um, if water were available so the purpose of the project changed and And the economics have changed, and it became viable primarily, but in the process, to benefit the Indians as much as the white community.
2: Is there another novel in the works?
0: I have (laughs) had—you're very kind to ask. I have had um, an idea having to do with uh, the Jefferson presidency. I've, I've been a Jeffersonian all my life and wrote a doctoral thesis on Jefferson. And um, it's, it's kind of a dra- dramatic rendering of um, the U.S. relationship to Russia during the Jefferson presidency when he had correspondence with Tsar uh, Alexander I, as a matter of fact. And I build a drama around that, and so I may find time one of these days to write that.
2: What do you do when you're not swaying international opinion, (laughs) authoring a novel, or defining the nature of politics? And particularly, what kind of music do you enjoy?
0: Uh, Very, very interesting and complex questions. I taught for a while at the University of Colorado, mostly strategy and public affairs, and um, I, I hope to continue to do some one-off teaching and lecturing from time to time simply because I enjoy it. I listen to classical music and have all my life uh, as background music in my office. I did throughout my 12 years in the Senate and I do in my office in Denver today. And uh, the answer to the recreation is a, a bit of work. I chop wood, I've got a little acreage outside Denver up in the hills and uh, where we live. And uh, on weekends, I take down dead trees and chop them up. Okay. Well, uh, do you have a, f- a favorite sport and or sports team? Oh, gee. Well, Denver Broncos, uh, I like football a lot. I like baseball too, but the Rockies haven't been doing very well this year. So I've shifted to, ba- to football now and got my fingers crossed with the Rockies, but, um, I played sports, all sports in high school and a bit in college. And, um, I like them all. I'm not a golfer. I never learned golf, but aside from that tennis, uh, track and field, basketball, baseball, football. Well, in a very Gary
2: Hart-like move, the Broncos were smart enough to pick up maybe the greatest quarterback <laughs> in NFL history and uh reaping the benefits of that uh, uh I'm very anxious to see Peyton Manning being from Indianapolis originally uh continue his success in Denver now if i can He
0: was, br- he was brilliant this last week.
2: Oh boy, wasn't he? And uh you know, it's a brand new situation for him and uh yeah. i i really think that uh, that was an incredibly smart move of course uh, the guy who picked him knows a little about playing quarterback too. So, uh,
0: he does, he does. John Elway.
2: Yeah. If I can be so bold, what is the one thing about Gary Hart in his spare time that would surprise most people? Now, you've told us you chopped wood, which my eyebrows are now trying to recede from the top of my forehead. Other than, of course, <laughs> writing novels, uh, what, what do you think most people uh, would be astonished by uh, in your spare time?
0: Well, I haven't promoted it, but uh, I did go back to school in my 60s, but well, gee whiz, 10 years ago now, and um, finished a doctorate at Oxford. So I got I got what they call a DPhil, Doctor of Philosophy degree, when I was about 64, 65. Um, again, I haven't made a big deal out of it, but I thought it was a bit of an accomplishment. And I was told by the Senate historian that I am, as far as his records show, I'm the only former senator to have gone back to school to get a Ph.D., and perhaps the only U S Senator in history to, um, have got a earned a doctoral degree from Oxford. So I'm pretty proud of that
2: as well. You should be as someone who, uh, 30 years after matriculating at ball state and winning the first David Letterman scholarship, I had four hours to complete when I left for my professional career and just (laughs) finished it this July. So,
0: uh, good for you. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, uh, continued education throughout one's life well uh, I don't know that I've learned
2: that much but uh, I did get the degree
0: <laughs> I tell people Good for you congratulations I uh
2: I couldn't go to college so I went to Ball State uh, now Senator I cannot begin to express what an honor it is to have spoken with you thank you so much for sharing your very valuable time with us and continued success in all your endeavors please let us know if we can ever be of any service to you
0: Thank you very much. I've enjoyed the conversation.
1: You're listening to The Tom Gully Show.
0: Uh, what's, your, what's, your, what's your radio show? Where are your radio show hosts at? Where are your radio hosts shows? Where are you at? Where are you at? What's your, what's your show? What's it called? Is it the podcast that's non-existent? You know what? When it launches, can I be on? Can I be on? please, 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 please. please.
1: Sure thing, crazy lady. Just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com.
0: Boy, I have never met somebody with a more self-serving, pompous, media blowhard that you give Rush window a good name.
2: thanks to tonight's guest senator gary hart go on out there and get his latest novel that's right his novel it's called durango and you can get it at amazon.com folks we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various facebook pages trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here we'd appreciate it if you'd like the tom gully show not me but the show on facebook too if the mood strikes you 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 can like me too i just you know I want to cause a logjam. Follow us on Twitter at AtomicPalooka as well. Twitter's a great way to stay in touch with the show, and it also increases my clout and cred ratings, uh, you know, so I can be cool, like Fonzie. That will do it for tonight. I am out of here. i got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you fine folks much later. We'll take you out as always with Catch-22
1: Blues by the Hitman Blues Band, and we will see you next time.
0: Can't lift a twig for a dog that's nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat, or a raccoon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night while you hold your baby tight, but he don't want you. You can see it in his eyes from the